Welcome back to the Charged Up Show. In this episode, we had the opportunity to speak with Scott Walker, a former NHL star who played around 827 games in the show and is now the coach for the Guelph Storm OHL team. Throughout this episode, we go through Walker's career while he gives us very valuable life lessons. We hope you enjoy this episode. Please welcome the new record holder of NHL games played on the podcast with 829 Scott Walker. Hey, thanks for having me. Hopefully you'll uh, beat my record soon, but uh, I'm excited <laughs> yeah. to have a record. I don't That'll have too many. Tough one. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions lined up for you. And I guess first right off the bat is kind of going way back, like growing up in Cambridge, like how was hockey kind of back then? And like, do you see any changes like along the way? Like how was kind of your experience growing up with hockey? Well, I was obviously uh, very fortunate. Hockey was much different when I was a kid uh, in the sense I always asked my dad, you know, what's the difference between now and from when I was coaching, obviously, Cooper growing up. And he said it was amazing the difference because, you know, AAA tryouts, uh, he would come out and watch when I was coaching. And there'd be like when the kids were young, there'd be 50, 60, 70 kids jump on the ice. And he said when you started and I was coaching, he said, we were lucky to get enough to fill the team. So you basically, if you showed up, you, you played. Now we were, uh, I think we were a double A city or single A city because it was Galt, Preston, Hesper when I first started. And, uh, I'm obviously from the best place, Galt. And, uh, um, you know, I played there uh, for quite a bit and, and I really enjoyed it. Now, I, you know, can, can I say I was really good? I, probably, you know, as a young kid, but like I said, and Cooper brings it up often, like the competition wasn't very good. The goaltending was no good, but you still had to be, you know, better than them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed hockey. I think now the expense of it is disappointing um, for me because I think uh, I look back and I'm not sure you, many of you guys on here would remember this, but maybe some of the listeners, you know, when I went to the rink, you know, my dad's, I sat in the back seat of a, an old Ford Cougar and the, the floorboards were rusted out and the, as the heat heated up, the, the back floor would get wet. And then the next morning you get in, it was like an ice rink back there because it all froze up overnight. And now I go to the ranks and it's all Mercedes, and, <laughs> you know, nice SUVs and, and nothing against that. I, I mean, I drive a nice car too, so I'm not trying to throw stones here. I'm just saying the price of hockey has really seems to, you know, eliminated, uh, you know, probably somebody like myself. And to be honest with you, other guys that I know, well, Todd Harvey, like it, it just wouldn't have been, feasible for my family uh, to push as hard as we did yeah fair enough yeah that, we'll get into it more later too but that's also so cool how you 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 got to go through everything and then now you get to help cooper go through everything and we want to give him a little shout out to start for helping us set set it up and getting you on because i was bugging him a lot the last couple of weeks getting you on so it was nice of him to set it up but um moving on like you talked about being younger and uh, like I, I've heard you talk uh, a couple times. One was at the OHF ceremonies a couple of years ago, and you talk about you're known as such a hard worker. And how how did that come? Was it always like that in minor hockey? Well, uh, first of all, you know, Coop was probably scared to not get me on for, from you. Obviously, with that pink sleeveless shirt on with those guns, I mean, I'd be scared of you too. So, but uh, <laughs> no, you know. I just talked to somebody about this, you know, work ethic isn't about how much work you do. It, it's, 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 it's how you're brought up. Um, you know, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I probably worked hard with, I was a kid, but I was just being a kid, kid, being a kid was so much different. Again, I don't want to age myself to everybody on this, but 
I see it in my own and, and, and I think they're great kids too, but we, they spend a lot more time on their social media or in their room playing video games where my video game was going out and playing street hockey or, or rollerblading or running or playing soccer. I was extremely active, skinny kid cause I never stopped. And, uh, um, so hard to say if I was, when I was a kid, I was working hard. I know I never rested and I never relaxed. Now people would tell you, I didn't work that hard at school, but, um, I worked hard in other areas and, and then as hockey went on, yeah, did I outwork people? Absolutely. But, but mostly because I had to, I wasn't as good as everybody else at a certain time in my career. I mean, I always like when I was young and I was a, a kid playing in golf, I was probably, you know, there were a couple other good players, uh, Greg Bullock and other guys around, but, um, you know, we were probably two of the best around. Uh, we had calls all the time to go to play in Toronto and all over. Um, but I enjoyed playing with my friends and, and so, uh, like you say, I was one of the better ones. And then I moved on to Kitchener to play triple a and I played there a couple of years. And then I got cut at 15 or 14 or 15. I, I don't remember exact age. And, so uh, what it showed me was that, you know, I wasn't maybe as good as I thought I was or, or everybody else was gaining on me or the competition was getting better, you know, for um, a lot of reasons. I came home and obviously upset like every kid is who gets cut. And my dad was like, you know, obviously felt bad for me. But right away, his thing was just go back and, you know, start working hard. And if you quit, you know, it's uh, it's over. And uh, I didn't quit and kept going. And honestly it was probably the thing that you know made me the player that i became because as the story goes i was a all-star defenseman in junior and all-star defenseman in the american hockey league and, and then i ended up playing forward my whole nhl career and all different roles as a, a fourth line in and out of the lineup kind of guy a little bit of a fighting part of it and then i moved my way back up to scoring uh, you know in, in some aspects in carolina and nashville but so I don't know if it's total work ethic. Work ethic is I, I think I'm just a busy person. I'm a busy body. I don't like to be sitting around doing much, but I'd say mostly mindset, I guess, is probably, I would say, the difference. Now, a lot of people know of your your whole career in hockey and how spectacular it was, but not a lot of people know your beginnings. So would you be able to run us through a little bit of uh, what it was like playing locally as a kid and how that all went with playing with the Dutchies and the Winterhawks and all of that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, great stories. I actually just, I don't know why we had it, but I had a, you know, scrapbook. So actually I know why it was. My mom was cleaning out the house and she was getting rid of all these scrapbooks. And so she brought them over to me and uh, asked if we wanted them. And so I was going through them uh, trying to show Cooper and Anna, but uh, my daughter Anna and Cooper, they had no interest in reading them. <laughs> Um, but, you know, there's a lot of great things in there. I started off as a figure skater, uh, Preston Skating Club. Um, and then, like you said, I moved up through the Galt organization and uh, went on to Kitchener. Uh, then anyways, Junior B, I'll just start there because it's most relevant. Uh, started in Kitchener, to be honest with you. I was uh, trying out there the year after I got cut from AAA. I played AA one year and then I went and played for the Dutchman or tried out for him. And I actually broke my ankle in training camp and mm -hmm. uh, it was devastating as well. I, I, skated, I slipped and fell into the boards. And anyways, the coach or the people there, I don't even remember the whole story. They decided to keep me, uh, said, if, you know, if I wanted to stay, they would keep me and, and uh, 
deal with me after I, my ankle healed up. So long story short, my ankle heals up. I get ready to play again. And they had a lot of guys come up and down from the Rangers at that time. They were really affiliated back more. So back in the day, it was a lot different than it is now. And so they had a lot of players coming up and down. And as they came down, I would get sat out or not play. And so I ended up actually going, I was going to school in Kitchener at Eastwood and uh, uh, ended up quitting the Dutchman and went to play for Eastwood high school team for a couple of days until things could get resolved and uh, ended up getting traded to Cambridge and uh, got to move home. Uh, you know, basically I'd been out of the house since I was 13 uh, playing up and down and all around in Kitchener going to school up there. So got to play in uh, Cambridge. Um, wow. Did like, honestly that Junior B two years and junior A two years, two or four of my best years of my life. And I, I know there's some guys on this call know what I mean. Like it's just unbelievable. When I got to come home and play with, you know, guys like Greg Bullock and Jody Ball and Kevin Tucker and uh, Todd Harvey. And these guys were all local kind of local legends or local good hockey players and, and friends of mine growing up with. And then we, you know, we got to bring in guys like uh, Ricky Fields. He's, he's from St. John's Newfoundland and, Farga and a bunch of guys from the States. Uh, Kenny Mann actually coached us. Tim Lawrence coached me my first year, which was an unbelievable coach. Um, then he got relieved of his duties and Todd Harvey's uncle, Kenny Mann, took over and, uh, you know, really helped define the player that I became. And, and to be honest with you, um, Todd Harvey's, uh, I always say this, I always give him the most credit for my career because I was, uh, I think at that point, I was uh, 17. Uh, he was uh, 15. I played with him when he was 14 in junior B. Um, and, and he was fighting and scoring and doing everything. And then he ended up getting every scout in town, NHL scouts, OHL scouts were coming to watch him. And if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't have got drafted. So I got drafted two years after my draft year. Uh, the same year he got drafted and he's two years younger. And he went first overall. And uh, I know you know some of the guys, uh, but I used to go around my kids' team when I was coaching them, and I said uh, they were getting up that 13 and 12, 13, and I'd say, hey, next year, do you guys think you could play out there when the Winter Hawks were practicing? They're like, oh, no way. I said, well, uh, Todd was there, and I, I say, because I had a Moto Cup practice, I said, see that big guy over there? He's a little bit heavy right now, but uh, <laughs> he, I said, that guy played, didn't just play at 14, he dominated to be at 14. It's it's really amazing. I don't think people know how good he was. Um, but like I said, he helped me get noticed. But I always tell people, you have to make yourself, you have to make your breaks. You know, you uh, just because I was getting noticed, if I was no good, I wouldn't have been, you know, getting noticed for the right reason. So, I, uh, you know, some people shy away from better players, as you guys will know, and you'll learn and you probably learned in your lives. You see these young, good players. They don't want other good players coming to play with them or they kind of want to be the best player, whatever they do. And, and you'll see that in your job. And to me, uh, one thing I try to teach kids, go play with the best players and and practice with the best players and train with the best players. One, Just a quick story for you guys quick. I, I always tell the kids, I, I used to train in the summer with a bunch of guys, uh, Sid Vanderpool and Greg White at uh, Jacob Hestler, and lots of great people. And um, we used to line up always and do wind sprints. And people always want to win. You know, like they always want to win or they want to be lazy and they they either cheat or they line up way far away from the fastest people. And, and you know, I'm a terrible runner. I got short legs, short arms, I'm just a short person. And <laughs> I'd always, always line up with the fastest people and they would beat me. But you know what? It made me faster. And then I would just try and drive myself to be faster and do more than they did. 
um, and like once Brian Little and Timmy Brent and all the young NHLers started coming, you know, I'd go run hills with uh, Brian Little and a couple other guys that were in Chicago organization. And, and, you know, at the end of my career, it was hard for me to keep up with them. But I can tell you, I tried every day to do it. And so I always say, don't shy away from better people or faster people thrive on that make yourself better so hopefully that's kind of a a story you wanted through that but like i said i really appreciate everything that cambridge or at that time galt minor hockey and the cambridge winter hawks did for my career that's for sure yeah for sure that's a great lesson to take out of from and um so i guess kind of moving on from there you uh correct me if i'm wrong but you got drafted um you played you know in the ahl so in Hamilton, how was it kind of playing locally, like near home? And was there any kind of pressure going there? Or like, was it hard to adjust at all? Like from, from playing like Dutchies and the Hawks? Yeah, like like you said. So ultimately, I moved away when I was really young. Not, not like It seemed far when you're young, but I moved to Kitchener. I lived with my aunt for a bit and went to school up there. And then I kind of was back and forth. Then I moved to Owen Sound to play Junior A. <clears throat> and then I got drafted to Vancouver at uh, 18 and or 19, I think it was 19. And then I got drafted by Vancouver, which is a long ways away, but their farm team happened to be in Hamilton. So uh, long story short, I got to move home. And and so now I'm playing my first year in pro hockey, been out of the house for a long time, and now I'm moving home to live and making my own money and thinking I'm the coolest cat in town and didn't really want to follow too many rules, but still living under mom and dad's roof. So you're you're bang on. It was extremely hard, man. Oh, man, mentally... And just emotionally, it was so hard to, you know, go to the rank every day. Your first year pro, um, it's hard. The coach is hard on you. The, the veterans are like, just want to, they want, they're, they want to win. Like this is pro now. So they're hard on you if you're not holding up your end of the deal, like being the best you can be. And, um, so I'd go to the rank and I always say this, like I'd, I'd go to the rink, I'd drive that half an hour down there and it was probably the best half an hour because I go to the rink and it was so hard, right? Practices were harder. You're working against men. The coach is demanding hard. Probably one of the best coaches I had. I loved him a lot to find my career well is Jack McHargy, one of the toughest guys around you'll ever meet and watch some of his old videos. They're black and white, but he's as tough as they come. Um, but then I'd go home and then my dad was as tough as they come. And so he would be snarling at me and telling me what I didn't do right or wrong at games and so it was uh, it was extremely taxing year, um, but again, made me mentally strong and mentally tough. Uh, as you guys all know, I love the way you guys grind it out and uh, are making your own, blazing your own path. Uh, same with me. Like, you can't just stop when things get hard. So, you know, I just put my head down and worked harder and uh, tried to keep her going. But it was not easy. You're bang on on that one it was uh, everybody thinks oh you got to live at home it's great it's honestly it was one of the hardest things but i think it really did help me through my first year uh, in the hl and then we obviously moved on to syracuse so um being a fifth round picker i, I don't want to say you you cut you were an underdog to make the nhl and to get a taste of the nhl in your second year pro like was that something you were even expecting like to for a fifth rounder to get a taste in their second year, that's pretty rare yeah well it's, it's funny you know i was too naive there's no social media there's no you know anything back then so when i got drafted in the fifth round i just thought well you get drafted doesn't matter where you get drafted just go play a couple of years and make it to the pros right now i think kids get deterred too easy they think well i'm not a first or second rounder i'm not going to make it i'm only spent to do only expected to do this much i never thought like that i always thought 
this is the way it's supposed to go. And I just kept forging away. Now I will tell you, I was lucky. I, I played for Jack McArgy, one of the toughest guys I ever met. Great, great guy, great coach, but he, he demanded you work hard and you, you, you do everything you can to make it. I had, uh, Pat Quinn was the GM and coach of Vancouver at the time. Um, same work ethic and uh, character and all these great things were his biggest thing. And then George McPhee, who's still to this day, a good friend of mine, uh, he's in Vegas. Um, he was as tough as they come. Please feel free to check out his fight tapes. We always giggle all the time. He's not much bigger than me, if, if at all, maybe lighter. Um, and so I had a lot of people in my corner that loved the way I played. I wasn't, you know, I was a 91 point defenseman in junior, but when I went there, they, you know, I remember going around the draft table uh, in Quebec city, getting drafted and Pat Quinn was a big man and he stood up and shook my hand and the nicest guy, but I'm sure I, I could read his mind. He's like, what the you know, what the hell do we got here in this five foot eight defenseman? So going in, playing for all those guys, I knew I had to change my game a little bit to, to earn their respect. And so I started to play hard and, and fight. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I have my fight log there, but from the American Hockey League, there wasn't too many guys I didn't fight. You know, I fought uh, Louis DeBrusque and um, Reed Simpson and the Robert's brothers. And these guys were all legendary. You know, did I win them all? No, but I, I fought. And, and kept fighting and so I would say that it was difficult to make it but when they called me up I always look back now like I think because now I'm in management in the NHL I think wow like what would the thought process been there I was I was a defenseman I got called up to the NHL to play right wing like what's that say to all your prospects in the AHL and <laughs> and, and junior like wow there's a defenseman getting called up before me and uh, uh, but like I said I think I think this is true in any business. People aren't, you know, necessarily looking for the exact job you do. They just want to look for the, the traits and the characteristic you bring and, and they'll find a place for you. And that's what I try and tell people. Like, don't worry about if you're a first rounder, a 10th rounder, right wing, left wing. If you're good enough, we'll find a spot for you. And speaking about that, that season, that must have been a, uh, where you were up for 11 games. You had 52 points in 334 penalty minutes that must have been a crazy season like what was that season <laughs> yeah that was a lot of swollen knuckles and a lot of swollen faces but like I always tell people you're better to have your knuckles hurt than your face and you know I didn't win them all but I can tell you I you know I didn't lose all too often maybe tied a bunch but uh, I wasn't really a grappler either I was a stand back and swing I could throw both hands and I was very good on my skates so usually did fairly good um but like i said i you know i never i never would tell you i won them all but i always say that guys didn't really like fighting me they didn't have a ton to win or you know gain because if they beat me up usually they were bigger and but like i said if they did beat me up i was guaranteed to come out of the poly box and go right at them again and, and you know, they didn't really love that um but like i said it, it Fighting isn't easy. I never, ever coach. I think anybody will tell you. I actually think fighting probably is on its way out of hockey. And, you know, maybe some parts of it I don't mind, but I really don't think it should be a part of it. I, I don't think anybody who's ever played for me, I want them to fight. Um, I never thought it was a part of the game when I, even when I coached junior. The only thing I would say is, as I was hard as they come as a coach in the sense of, you better work hard. Like, and that's what I mean, fighting. Like when you go in the corner, you had no choice when you played for me, but to come out with the puck. And if you didn't, it was unacceptable. And, 
So people would think, oh, you're a crazy coach. You want your guys to fight. No, I don't want them to fight. Absolutely don't. I actually told them when the whistle went, you go line up. That drives the other team more crazy than stand there and yell and scream because we all know those guys. The guys who yell and scream, they're the guys to be least scared of. It's the quiet guy that just keeps lining up and coming after you that's going to be the guy that's going to probably knock your teeth out. So for me, it was more just play hard, be determined, go keep quiet, do your job, line up every face off and go at them as hard as they can and just take their will away. Yeah, that's great to hear. Now you played you played in Nashville, one of the first years that it was established. How how cool was that and especially like seeing their fan base grow from the very beginning to now? What what uh stories and experiences did you take from that? Well, you know, it was amazing. You know, I loved Vancouver and I obviously I worked for them up till last year and I love everything about the Vancouver Canucks. I love the people. I love uh, the city. I, you know, I'm forever going to be a Canuck. Um, so, you know, but to give myself a career boost, I needed to move on. I needed to get a chance to take what I was in junior, what I started to become a little bit in the AHL and, and push through that known as a guy who's going to fight and play on your fourth line and be happy. Like I, I was not a guy that said I wanted to play more and I, you know, didn't go to my agent. I just did what I was told, but this gave me a chance to move to a team where we were all coming in on equal footing. And it was, you know, a blessing in disguise. David Poyle, Barry Trotz, um, Craig Leopold was the owner, man. These guys were first class all the way. Uh, still talk to them, treated me with the utmost respect and, and I like to say, like, I, ho- I hope we laid some groundwork to what they're doing now in these days. They are an uh, amazing organization, um, great depth in their organization. But, but ultimately, their fan base is, is really different in the sense of what it was when I was there and what it's become. Like, the whole city has grown. First of all, Nashville itself as a, a tourist town has become huge right and uh, when i was there it was just starting to grow the football team had just moved there built a new stadium downtown you know so it it was great but it's much different so i can't comment on it like it's not as crazy as it was uh not as crazy then as it is now um but it was still a lot of fun we could go out to bars and restaurants and you'd run into famous you know musicians and country music people were always at our games they were at our year-end parties sitting around the campfire singing and so it, it was a lot of fun, but it's much different now. They, they are, uh, they're actually probably a team that, you know, in the last three, four years could easily have won the Stanley Cup. And when I was there, we were just trying to make the playoffs. So um, I, I'm real proud of what they become because, you know, in some way, a little way, you hope guys like Tom Fitzgerald and myself, Billy Holder, Greg Johnson, Mike Dunham, Thomas Volkoon, Scott Hartnell, David Legwan, and, chemo team and then and on and on but the guys that were there early i think we were just hard-working great group of guys that just loved being there and loved playing for the the crest on the front and uh, that seems to be the way they still do it yeah it's it's very rare that you come across someone who could help build a foundation to a new team so i think that's that's really unique and special about your career as well well yeah it's it, it, it it's funny you only get one chance to start a franchise and uh, to be honest with you we've all seen franchises in the nhl that maybe haven't had that get going forward and they've always been i don't know 
seems like they're stuck in the mud and I'm not saying it was from the way they started, but um, you know, everybody wants to take a little credit for success people have. So I just try to look back and all the great people we had in our organization uh, those years. And, and honestly, David Poyle and Craig Leopold keeping Barry trots and Brent Peterson and the coaches we had, and they kept a lot of people together for a long time. And I think that uh, it was huge. Now, I, what I just wanted to add to is before we get into more depth in Nashville, I just wanted to jump back to Vancouver quick. And obviously you paid, played your first two, four seasons up and down and had your first full-time pro seasons. How, what was the impact guys? Like they obviously had some pretty amazing guys like Nasla and Linden, Pavel Bure, and you obviously just moving to forward. How, how much did they impact you? Well, I, you know, I look back at that team with fond memories. So that year that I got called up full time, um, the year before they went to the Stanley Cup finals in 1994 against the Rangers. So you still watch it. And, and actually it was there when Messier came to play with us too. We signed him, oh. but just like, that's probably one of the best teams I've like the amount of star players we had on our teams and we never made the playoffs um, when I was there full time, but we had, like you said, Burray, Linden, uh, McGillney, the Cortinal brothers, Jeff Brown, Yerke Lume, Kurt McLean. And then you throw in guys like, uh, like Messier came later, uh, Gino Ojic, Donald Brashear. Uh, we had it all. We had skill. We had toughness. Just shows you how hard the NHL is because we had all those great hockey players and we, and Brett Hedekin was there. We just couldn't make it. But to be honest with you, um, everybody was good to me. Gino Ojic was outstanding. Uh, a legend in Vancouver and he treated me like just like one of the guys um I'll tell you Pavel Burry had us over to his house uh, he, he'd always kid with me because I was so excited when you're first in the NHL and you start getting your first NHL paychecks granted now it wasn't like they are totally now and back in I forget what it was 95 96 I'd look at my check I'd stare at it at, like for 20 minutes in the change room and I was so excited and Pavel and he's a great person so take this the right way but he'd always say he taught me in his Russian action. He said, you, you, you want me to cash that for you? <laughs> <laughs> so he was making 5 million back then. And that's a long time ago, but uh, he, so he was great. Same thing. Have me as uh, young guys out to his house for dinners. Um, but to be honest with the biggest impact was Trevor Linden. There's no question. I still talk to him to this day. Uh, we actually own some buildings. A uh, fun fact, he, uh, he's partnered with me in a couple buildings here in Cambridge, Ontario. Wow. So Trevor Linden from out in Vancouver is a partner in some of the, industrial buildings I have here. So it's great. But, but I can tell you a story about it. He's a legend in Vancouver. He's the captain. He's one of the hardest working people you ever meet. Um, but when we, my first training camp in Kamloops, BC, uh, my family was there and we were walking into the hotel and I'll never forget it. He literally held the door open for me and my uh, family, my uh, mom and dad and um, said, hi, and I'm Trevor Linden and welcomed us. And, you know, nowadays I just don't know. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's pretty amazing for, you know, at that time he was the biggest star Canucks and still is. And to sit there and take the time to hold the door and talk to your family. And, uh, but like I said, him and his wife had me over for many dinners while I was there and um, definitely made me feel more comfortable and made me feel like a captain. I'm not saying a captain should, but that's why he was the captain because mm -hmm. he did the things like that. So um, but I was roommates with Russ Cortnell. Man, we had a blast. Uh, we had so much fun. He was a legend. Uh, played a long time, him and Jeff. But this guy is, uh, is 
he's still a lot of fun to see and see what he's doing. But uh, I really enjoyed my time there. Like I said, it gave me my step. Vancouver's a beautiful place, great city. I just needed to, to move on to get a chance to play more and become who I was. But uh, absolutely blast. I think. Yeah. yeah. So um, kind of just a random question that I just wanted to ask, like, so obviously being drafted in there, what was like your first kind of welcome to the NHL moment, like your first goal? Like how, how surreal was that experience? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we played the Pacific, the Pacific Coliseum back then, so it's just outside of uh, downtown Vancouver. And uh, there, there's lots of great moments. The goal, but it took a long time to get it. But I'll, I'll tell you. So my first game was against the Edmonton Oilers, and obviously, it's first time I played right wing. Like I got called up from the American League, never played right wing in my life. So basically, go out there, line up against Kelly Buckberger. And he's a fairly tough guy. He's wearing the old Cooper helmet, and uh, and I was like. You know, obviously very emotional, very uh, on adrenaline, excited. <laughs> First face-off goes, he he basically gets me in a headlock and takes my helmet off. So I'm basically playing my first shift in the NHL with no helmet on. and <laughs> thought that was pretty cool. And then I actually got in a fight with Jason Arnott in the same game, and I did fairly good, and uh, um, crowd went crazy. Long story short, we went into the box. It was a big melee. Then we went underneath. We got kicked out, and... Uh, me and Shane Corson, we started almost going at it underneath the stands in the old arena and then uh, went out that night and, and we uh, almost all got into a fight at the bar against each other again. So it's it's changed a long, long ways from what way it was. But like I said, it, and I'm buddies with Shane Corson now, see him up the cottage and do a lot of alumni events, but just shows you how intense the game used to be. Not that it's not intense, but it was it was it was a battle out there and it was a battle on and off the ice and uh, that's kind of my wow i'm in the nhl i'm skating around with no helmet and they're not telling me to you know they're not blowing it down like minor hockey <laughs> telling you to get it on it was playing a lot in front of a lot of people so it was uh, it was great awesome. yeah uh, now that vancouver seems awesome but now we'll jump right back into nashville like keith kind of teed up and um like just looking stats wise you obviously said that you wanted a fresh start and to become the player you wanted to be in Nashville. And it clearly happened, right? You had 40 points in your first season. Then you eventually, uh, in the 2003-2004 season, 67 points on reading you were, you were a second-year assistant captain. And how, how did that change yeah. from going from Vancouver and having 13, I think, uh, 18 high, eighteen points was your highest in Vancouver till yeah. you get 40, Well, 50. it's opportunity. Like, you guys all know that. I mean, uh Sometimes you have to wait your time and bide your time. I was just very fortunate. But, you know, you bring up a good point, though, that everybody who I talked to asked me about how I played in the NHL and they asked my career. And if they Google me right away, they think I was a fighter. Um, thing I'm most proud about is that year you said 67 points that year. I think I was top 20 or tied in top 20, Led the 25 team. for scoring. Yeah, for the whole league, though. Wow. So if you look at some of those names on that list, there's some. Uh, very impressive names and I'm not tuning my own home but you it, so when when I went to Nashville we were all on a fresh slate there wasn't that first line second line there wasn't the power play penalty killing and lucky for me Barry Trotz and and uh, David Poyle were running uh, uh, Portland winner or Portland uh, Pirates in the AHL I think that was Washington's farm team and so I played a ton of games against them in Syracuse and uh, I think Barry always liked the way I played and Obviously, I was fighting, but I was very offensive in uh, in that league too. So he gave me a time to, you know, a chance to to shine and flourish, and still wanted me to play hard with that edge. And uh, 
And like a long story short is is there's a difference between playing three and four minutes and playing 14 and 15, 16 minutes a game. But uh, again, like we said, even when they were coming out to watch Todd Harvey, you have to be good. You have to show them what you can do. So same with the opportunity, you have to, you, you know, you, you have to be successful. You have to be able to do it. And I'm not saying that, you know, just because the opportunity that I made it, I mean, there's lots of other guys that I played with that had the same opportunity expansion draft and were either gone after the first year or didn't make it at all. And um, so uh, just determination. I wasn't a player that sat around in Vancouver and, and woes me and said, I need the opportunity. I was the person that sat around and said, I want an opportunity and I'm going to, you know, work harder when I get it. And uh, I, I think ultimately that's what I learned about it was, okay, now I got this opportunity to play 14, 15, 16 minutes a game. You know, you, know, you better work harder to keep it. And uh, so, Again, as you make it, you think you're working hard, and then once you make it, you work twice as hard to stay there. And do you, uh, I'll go quick. Uh, do you have any? Obviously, the legendary Scotty Hartnell. You mentioned him earlier. Yet, what was it like playing with him? Do you have any funny stories about him? He's obviously a funny guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a character. He was a young kid when uh, I was there. I think he was made our team at 18. And mom and dad were great people, coming from a farming background and hardworking. And same with him, you know, he's just a fiery guy, lots of energy and uh, uh, just, you know, one of those guys you just want to be on a team with, like he'll do anything for you. Uh, his skating was, you know, not very pretty to watch, um, but this guy, his work ethic and, and uh, character and compete was, uh, you know, second to none. I mean, we used to give it to him about his hair. He never had great hair, but he seemed to do all right with it way ended up everybody loving it at the end of his career. But uh, I, I don't have a ton of funny stories other than to tell you, you just, you, you know, if your kid grows up and, and, and you want a role model, like Scott Hartnell is one of those ones for sure. You know, he just, he, he never took one day for granted. He practiced as hard as he played and uh, he loved it. Every day he came into the rink, he smiled. You know, there's character people um, and there's lots of character people like, you know, I always say there's people that drive character and then there's character people. He's the kind of guy that drives character. When he walks in the room, he, he can take it over. He's exciting. He's energetic. He drives the character of your people. And then there's other people that are awesome and they're great players and they're the, they got the right character. They're just quiet and they'll just go out and do their job. Um, but just, I mean, obviously for you guys, you, you see the guy enough and you see the kind of, that's exactly how he is. He drives character and uh he was he was a blast to be around yeah moving awesome. after uh after nashville and all of that you moved to carolina and what was the spirit experience there and uh transition from the full nashville experience to a brand new team well again uh, i always say like everything's a life lesson right and so what was my life lesson moving from nashville could i have should i have could i have i could have probably or probably should have stayed in Nashville my whole career and ended and, and, you know, been a great story of being an expansion draft and the fans loved me and I loved it there. Um, but I'm to just tell you guys for great story for young people. And, you know, I, when I was in Vancouver, I wasn't getting a lot and wanted more, got to Nashville, got the opportunity. And then when I became that player and I did get more, then I started to get a little bit out of my comfort zone with thinking I was too good and, you know, that everybody else, owes me you know I, I started to think Nashville owes me and oh I'm doing all this for them and and I started to probably become a bad 
not a bad person, but expecting more and demanding more and wanting more. And they finally had enough of me and moved me on to Carolina. Now, you know, everything double-edged sword, right? Was, was I mad? Was I disappointed? Absolutely. But it probably added four or five years onto my career because it gave me a shock. Like, Oh, I am not tradable and I am not the greatest player. And you know, I'm not, I'm not irreplaceable. So long story short, get traded in the summer shock. Um, I thought I was the end all be all in uh, Nashville and uh, they moved me uh, for a, a guy from Carolina which was great for me. You know, looking back, um, Jim Rutherford is still one of the greatest people I know. I played against him a ton when he was GM and running everything in in Windsor. And uh, then he went to Detroit with the uh, Junior Red Wings and Plymouth Whalers and all that. Uh, He actually drafted Todd Harvey first overall. So Jimmy and me had had a connection through my whole career. And so he, he brought me in there and sat me down and said, Hey, listen, we expect a lot from you. We didn't just do this trade, uh, you know, just to move a guy out. We did this to help our team. They had just come off the Stanley cup finals or uh, they won the Stanley cup actually. So Peter Laviolette was the coach called me up and I'll never forget it. And said, you know, we expect you to come in here and have your best year, your best career year. We want you to drop five or 10 pounds. We want you to be, we play an up-tempo style. And I hung up that phone. I was so excited to get to Carolina because I was just, I needed that little bit of prod again to, you know, I'm not saying I was, I was just starting to drop my work ethic and, and, and think I didn't need to work as hard as I did and uh, getting traded and listening to Peter and Jim spark that flame again. And wow, I, I just it took off like what, a, you know, going into a place where they had won the Stanley cup the year before, um, learning how hard it is to win the Stanley Cup just from watching them. Rod Brindamore, this guy is a machine. Like this guy would guarantee you beat every single guy that we know working out and now and he's the coach. And when he was there as a player, it was it was ridiculous. And Eric Stahl, who's a really good friend of mine still, Matt Cullen, I think he's three or four times Stanley Cup champion. Um, Corey Stillman, these guys are all guys I still talk to now. And uh the, the amount of work that went into that year and the way they played, I always say that was my best year. That was my best year of hockey for sure. And the only reason I say that is because when I did all that stuff in Nashville that year, I was playing on the power plays and penalty kill and lots. I did. I played third line in Carolina, no power play, penalty killed a bit, but I was a third line player and I ended up, I think it was with 21 goals or something. And uh, so people say statistically it wasn't my best year, but it was my best year because that was the year that just, man, it was fun. Everything they, they taught me everything that they showed me how hard to work and how hard it is to make it. It came through in the stats and success. So that makes you feel good. And I ended up signing a three-year deal that summer, uh, my biggest contract ever and uh, uh, extended my career. And then uh, like we said, at the end of that I had a no trade clause and my last year, Jimmy Rutherford called me in the office. I'll never forget. And said, uh, do you want to go try and win the Stanley cup or do you want to go play in Toronto? Tough question because I really wanted to play in Toronto. Um, but you know, as a player for as long as I played, you know, if somebody can't throw you the chance to win the Stanley cup, uh, you know, you wouldn't be any kind of a person that played 17, 18 years in the national league. If you didn't say you wanted to win the cup. So, um, I uh, got a chance to go to Washington and they were in the front of 
winning the President's Cup trophy by, I think, 18 or 19 points at that time. So thought I had a legit chance to win the Cup. Went there, and we ended up getting beat out in the first round with Montreal. And uh, Halak had a real great series, beat us out in seven games. But uh, like I said, just a few lessons from that were basically once I was getting successful, you have to always check yourself. Um, but every, But then again, change actually helped me. You know, when I went to Carolina, I learned and I got to be around, like we talked about early in the call, about being around the best, the fastest, the quickest people to make yourself better. I went to a team that had just won the Stanley Cup and I learned what it took. And, and trust me, we didn't win the Cup again. And I could tell why, because how hard it was for them to do what they did. They almost didn't have enough gas to do it again next year. As far as like fan bases go, like obviously like jumping around the league, um, especially in Nashville, like it's a huge standout, you know, energy in the crowd. Did you... Did you ever find it like when you're in Nashville, was there any difference like in how the stadium was compared to like today or like compared to other teams? Like, did you find any? No, not really. We were just, honestly, when I was in Nashville, the crowd was great, but it was just starting to catch on. I think they were just getting familiar with the players and the people and the families and, and, uh, like the nicest fans ever. Like you'd be out at restaurants. They never once told you you played bad or the team wasn't doing well. They were just, just so happy to have us there. And I think that's the kind of the honeymoon aspect of it. Yeah. You know, they were just excited to have NHL team there and they weren't really focused on driving us into being the best team we were. They knew we were out there working our tail off. And I think as they started to draft and, and uh, you know, free agency and, uh, you know, probably – just a few years after I left, I think they had an ownership change and I think they brought in local owners. Don't quote me. I could be wrong, but I think it's local owners now or a group and that, that makes a big difference, right? You know, uh, Craig Leopold's a great owner, but he's, uh, I think he's now owner of Minnesota and I think he lives closer to there. So it works out for him and it worked out for Nashville. But uh, I think that passion came out of the owners that comes into the fans that feeds into the players. So, um, our fans were great and they were loud, but it's a whole different level there now. Yeah, with, with your Carolina story, there's a famous saying that says life happens, life happens for us, not to us. And I think that's a definitely a really good example of kind of when you get into that circle of fame, kind of you you can get trapped in just the the experience of getting traded there to Carolina. Um, it seems like it was really well from what you said it was a really it was something you needed in a way that you didn't know you needed yeah well 100 percent. and i don't want to make it sound like i was a bad guy and i was mm. going in and demanding yeah, and yeah. telling i just stopped fighting and being a bad teammate but but it's you're we gotta remember i'm playing in the national hockey league there's so few players and people in this world that can do it so five or ten percent different in the person you are is a huge huge difference so Remember, we went through, um, I don't know what it was, lockouts and CBA holdouts and all that, and our salaries got rolled back 25, 24, 25%, and I just signed a big contract. So there was lots of things that I was probably rightfully down on, but looking back, I might not have handled them the right way. And, and again, I just, you know, I wasn't the guy that was driving the culture anymore like I was. I think anybody would tell you, if that's played with me, I was a guy that bounced into the room, just like Scotty Hartnell. Like I love being at the rink every day. I love playing in the NHL. I never missed a day of enjoyment. You know, I was loud. I was proud. I was fun to practice with. I was hooting and hollering, but I was working hard. 
Um, but then when that have all happened, I kind of was quieter and just came in and did my job and left. And like I said, five or 10% less of me is not what they wanted and that's not what they were paying for. So trust me, I don't hold it against them for trade me. I do the same. Um, but like I said, I still have great relations. I still do alumni things. Um, I never hold it against them. I think that's the thing. You have to be self-reflective and you have to be able to assess yourself to be a good hockey player, but a good person. I think you guys know that from what you're doing now, even in hockey and life and podcasts and whatever you're doing, you have to be able to self-evaluate. What Was that good? Were we good? Can we get better? And if you're not realistic and real and truthful, you'll never become anything in life. So I think that's the number one thing I teach when I was doing player development and coaching junior and even my kids team with Benny and Coop was, yeah, it was hard, but it wasn't hard to be an asshole. It was hard to show them how to get to the next level. And I think to be, to get to the next level, you have to be honest and you have to be fair. Yeah. That's a really good life lesson. That's, that's great to hear. It's awesome. And then our last one, before we hop into coaching, we don't want to keep you for too much longer. So player question, then we'll quickly go through some coaching ones, but can you walk us through the arguably biggest goal in Carolina hurricanes history? Yeah, I got a picture I'm looking at right here. I got the puck on the wall. It was, uh, it was one of those surreal games, you know, uh, playing in Carolina and, uh, don't know how many people follow that series you know in Cambridge Ontario there's a lot of Boston Bruins fans as you guys would know in this southwestern Ontario it's either Bruins Leafs or Canadians for some reason but anyways so um I had in game four or five I had actually punched out Aaron Ward who went after Matt Cullen in a game and so earlier on the series and, and I can tell you Jim Rutherford refers to this a lot uh Paul Maurice was the coach um, we were getting beat up. We were getting pushed around. I was playing on the third third line, I think. Um, but our first line was getting pushed around and beat up by Chara and Lucic. They had a tough, hard team. And uh, then I punched Aaron Ward in the face. People say a sucker punch. I just tell you, he asked me to go. I don't wait for too much more than let's go. So he said, let's go. And uh, uh, he went. And then, so what happened was Paul Maurice ended up moving me up to the first line to play with Eric Stahl and, and Ray Whitney. And it was more to protect them, but not protect them in the way that fighting, it was to help them. After whistles, everybody would go after me. Lucic, Char, they'd be punching me and pushing me, which was great because it allowed the skilled players and the, the, the you know higher end players, Eric Stahl and Ray Whitney to do their job and stay out of that crap. And so I was more of a distraction um, with some ability. And so long story short, the game went on and I was just feeling really good about that game. I actually, you know, most people who follow that series know the story. My wife had been diagnosed with cancer before that, just at the tail end of the series before against New Jersey. So to be honest with you guys, I've never seen the game on video. I've seen the goal many times. Um, never watched the game. I should, because I don't remember one a bit of it. Just it's a good lesson again for uh, young people is I was so not concerned about hockey, right? I was just, worrying about my wife and life's bigger than this. And so I literally played every shift I'd go out, I'd play I'd come back, sit in the bench and I wasn't even thinking about hockey. And it's probably why I had one of my best games. Like I had three or four or five great opportunities to score, played good. It just shows you if you're good at something, you don't need to think about it. I think sometimes we overthink life. We overthink our jobs. We overthink hockey. 
I see that a lot in junior and like we're going to talk about coaching kid kids overthink it you're good I try and tell these kids we drafted you in the AHL the NHL the OHL we drafted you for a reason you're a good hockey player just go out and play quit thinking so much we'll get you in the right spot so that game I literally don't remember one bit of it don't remember playing it um, but I do remember the goal because I see it a lot um, I just uh, puck gets moved up the ice Ray Whitney I think actually might have been changing and he just kind of basically floats one at Tim Thomas and Tim Thomas for some reason doesn't really smother it he kind of just bats it off his glove or his chest or his blocker and I just crashed the net and uh, I actually knocked it about I don't know about a foot off the ice I just batted it and went in and uh, it was amazing it's a you know I I scored one playoff overtime winner or sorry I scored one playoff goal and I'm to be a game seven overtime winner every game every kid's dream so it was uh, it was amazing yeah Wow. That's, That's awesome. So cool. Should definitely throw that in the visuals or whatever. Keith, we should throw that in yeah. right there, so I have a chance to watch it before we ask him. Um, and then now, obviously, we want to we want to get through as much as we can. So, yeah. what what was the decision like to go into coaching? Obviously, to finally say I'm done playing and let's move in, and to obviously go into coach Guelph for a bit. Yeah, people always say, "Oh, well, you had a great career and then you were retired. Why'd you retire?" I said, "Well, I didn't really retire." Uh, I said 30 teams didn't sign me. So it's kind of forced retirement when no one signs you. But uh, I ended up skating up in Guelph. I knew some, I knew the owners up there through family, friends and business. So I was actually skating up there just like, I'm sure you guys have seen pros come out and train with your teams or whatever. It's just before the season gets going. So I was just training and hoping to stay in shape and get a chance. Maybe somebody gets injured or somebody needs somebody and they give me a call. Um, but it is like uh, October, uh, November comes around, no calls. And then I'm doing that. And Jason Brooks, who's a great, first of all, great human being, but he's a great coach. He's had so much success in the OHL, but then in, in the GOJHL uh, with Listowel, he's just put together a great franchise and he's a great human being. Um, asked me if I would help run practices with, you know, instead of, because I wasn't going to come up too much anymore practicing. So I put a tracksuit on and uh, right from day one, I loved it. And, and you know why I loved it? Because I wasn't coaching to win. I wasn't coaching to, you know, to systems. I was coaching these kids how to be a better player. You know, I was still a player myself. And and the, the, the thing that it showed me was how, like there was a lot of NHL drafted players on that team and they had no idea how to pick pucks off the boards. They had no ideas how to battle for pucks in the corner. The defense didn't know how to box out. Defense didn't. And, and, and it's not bad. It's just, I think we always take things for granted that, oh, this guy's this. He must know. So I always tell her, every coach, assume they don't know and just go over it. And uh, so, like I said, that's how I got into coaching. Uh, at Christmas time, they moved Jason to GM and um, moved me into coach and then eventually moved him out of both. And uh, they left me in the coach for the year. And um, we did, we had a lot of fun. And then, like I said, moved into it full time, and then obviously through all my um, friendships and playing with Hot Canada as a player, um, Bob uh, Nicholson and Scott Salmon uh, just got me involved with Hot Canada so much. And then, like I said, my coaching career kind of took off. That's that's a pretty unique story on how you started coaching. And uh, <laughs> now we're just going to go through a couple of the teams that that you obviously coached, and wrap it up. But 
we've had two guests on from the 13-14 Storm team, McFadden and uh, Justin Auger. And can you just like that team was crazy good. And yeah. um, I think it was McFadden said, you're, you're not going into win. You're going into not lose because you're expected to win every game that season. And obviously you don't coach that, that way. Like you've told us, but how, how was it difficult to coach that team? Cause you had Justin Auger was up. He ended up playing professional. He said he's a 19 year old playing third line. Like, was that hard to coach yeah. so many players? Well, Ryan and Horvat, another player from, locally around it. I think he was on I think him and Augs bounced around third and fourth line but we had our third and fourth line players all signed NHL contracts we had 13 players sign pro deals it was the hardest year of my life to coach um, and we we never lost back-to-back games after October I think somebody actually looked this up the other day because I did the same podcast like this and they did the research for me but I remember um, I told the guys you know good teams lose great teams don't lose two in a row and it's on you guys to you know, that's how you make it to the NHL. You you dial yourself in when you lose. Everybody loses. You can't go 82 games or 68 or whatever and win. But when you lose, that's when you tighten the chin strap up and everything gets harder and you make sure. I tell you, I always, always dreaded the team if we lost a game because the next game I didn't have to coach too much because these guys knew what they were doing. But I will tell you, that, that team was awesome. Uh, most proud of that team. Um, but it all started three years ago. Um, basically, my first year when I took over Christmas, we had Brock McGinn, uh, Matt Finn, and uh, Scott Kosmachuk were, I think, our first three rounders. And when I started in the OHL coaching, I didn't know anything about first years and what years players were. I, I just played everybody. And I played the heck out of those two, those three guys. They were great people. They were great players. And then we had Zach you know, uh, uh, Zach Mitchell. And then we added, you know, Bertuzzi, Fabry, uh, Dickinson. Like we had, the team was amazing. Our, uh, I think we scored like, I don't even know. I had it out there day. It was over 300 and some goals. It's still a record. I think we played, I'd rather have coached the team. That's, you know, we, I'd rather win seven, five than two, one. Uh, not that you didn't mind winning two, one. It was a little, but I always thought if the kids, and the players enjoy coming and know you're going to play an up-tempo offensive game, then they're going to allow you to do everything and do and work as hard as you want. If you give them some freedom to be offensive and, and, and allow them become the players they want to become, they'll dig in too. So uh, I guess the biggest lesson I'm going to tell you guys about coaching, since hopefully there's young coach, I never, ever, ever focused on winning. And everybody will tell you that Scott Walker's lying because I, I try to win everything I do. But I didn't focus on winning. I wanted to win. But I thought doing all the details and teaching the kids every single thing about doing every detail right, you know, back-checking, forward-checking, being ready on draws, like the stupidest little things, that, getting that right will, will make you win. If you – I've seen young coaches. I've, I've been around a lot of hockey, probably more than I need to be. I go around tournaments. I talk to people. I watch things. And, and the Cambridge team that I coached that Benny and Coop play for is a perfect example. You know, we'd lose games 2-1 or we'd tie games 2-2 late because the other team would load up its best players for the last five minutes. And I would just play everybody. And parents would get mad at me and say, oh, you did it. I said, don't worry. Does it matter if we win the 15th game in October when they're, you know, 10 years old? No, we're going to win when we need to win. But right now we're developing everybody getting everybody in the right spots, making everybody feel part of the team. 
And then, you know, we went through the playoffs when they were major Bantam, uh undefeated. And it wasn't because I was a great coach or we had the best players. We had a great group of people that just wanted to. And that's the same exact thing with 2014. Starts three years before. And anybody who tells you that it starts one year, they're crazy. Or, they're, or they did something way different than I've ever known. And it's start with a plan. And then the plan isn't to win. Because I watched young teams and young coaches trap it up and do these traps. Like I go to so many practices, the coach goes, oh, I'm teaching them the trap. Like I think it's the dumbest thing. Teach them hockey. Play hockey. Let the kids enjoy. Let them skate. Let them make mistakes. And yeah, trust me, people are going to say, oh, Scott Walker said let them make mistakes. I was hard. I yelled at them and I gave them trouble and I made them do it right and I corrected them. But you know what? They knew I cared. They knew I cared because I checked in with them all the time. I went overboard the next day at practice. I say, hey, we good? I never liked a coach that gave me shit and then didn't talk to me for three days. That was not who I was going to be. I was going to teach them right, and I was going to hold them accountable, every single player, my best player through my worst player, and they were all going to be treated the same, and they were all going to be dealt with the same. And, and let me tell you, they were the two best teams of people I ever coached. Winning besides it, the people that I coached and I would do anything for them. And I bet you a lot of them would do anything for each other. Yeah. So like with, with that said, um, did you find like we, we researched, like you, you coached the, the world juniors and obviously moving on to the Olympics. Um, did you have to like change the caliber of like what you wanted to get your point across with those types of players? Or did you truly this deep, you know, like, well, to give you like, so, my coaching career has been much better successfully than my playing career. Now playing, you're only taking care of one thing yourself and how you come to the rank and make sure you have your job the next day. And yeah. played, I played a long time, but I wasn't, didn't win a ton of things as a coach. Uh, I won, I was assistant coach world juniors, won a bronze assistant coach of the world juniors, won a gold, uh, head coach under 17, won a gold. I have an Alenka assistant coach gold, um, assistant coach Olympics, uh, bronze, um, OHL championship. Um, I did sledge hockey. We won gold. Um, so do I change? No, that's the, that's my whole point. Yeah. You don't change. You coach the seven year olds the same way you coach the 20 year old. The difference is you slow it down. Everything's the same. You do it fast. When I'm teaching the kids when they're seven, I'm still making them pass. I'm still making them skate back, still making them forecheck, still making them come in. Discipline is the thing that we're losing the most out of players. And discipline is losing the puck battle and it becoming acceptable. Taking a bad penalty and it becoming acceptable. You know, not back checking, it becomes acceptable. You know, so uh, it, it, I will say this. It's more fun coaching the elite players because when you teach them something, it, it's just – it's instant, you know, but like I said, there was nothing more satisfying than coaching, you know, the, you know, the, uh, Cooper and Benny and Serpa and, uh, Aaron Davidson and Paul Furman, Keegan McMullen. Like we had a lot of players that came from Cambridge or surrounding areas that did a world of good for themselves and, uh, for their parents and for me and, let me tell you, there's nothing more satisfying than watching that 
but it is stressful when they're seven and they can't make a tape to tape pass and practice mm-hmm. bucks are going all over. But the point is that you just stick with it. Like I'll tell you, uh, I'm glad you guys ask about the coaching because it gets frustrating. I go to, I go to watch minor hockey practices. I'm sure you guys see it. Uh, you've, you've, you're all played or, or played other sports and you get coaches. And I, I was out at one practice of, you know, and they're doing breakouts and the coach asked me to come out to help them and they're doing breakouts. And I'm like, okay, like after about three times, I'm like, well, the wingers aren't going low enough. And he goes, yeah, but if I stopped it every time, then we'd never get through practice. I'm like, no, you watch. And then, so they went, I stopped it. I said, you got to go lower. They went, stopped it, go lower. And he's like, see, I said, well, watch. Stopped it, stopped it, stopped it. And I said, eventually, we're going to do it right. I'd rather stop it 100 times and do it right so that the next 100 times it's right. And then when the game comes, they're doing it right. Like I never was a big believer that you can practice a certain way and then all of a sudden to do it the right way in the games. So I was probably nitpicky, probably an asshole some days, coach players would say, because I would walk on to practice. I'd look around. I'd want guys' neck guards on. I'd want chin straps done up. I want, you know, the one thing I kind of let them off on were with, without the mouth guards, but I was not a coach that said, oh, it's just practice. They don't need to do their chin strap up or it's tight, or they don't have to have their neck guards on. Like I was a stickler for all those things. Hats off when players came in and talked to me. I'll, I'll still run into players and they'll take their hat off to talk to me. And I'm like, guys, you don't, no, no, no. It, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's not, I guess it's dumb and it's silly, but it's a, it's a part of, you, you have to have some kind of rule and organizational skill of making sure that you have 20 people trying to do the same thing. Um, so I've never figured out how you have a team of 20 or 15 or 25 and there's different rules for two and this three and this seven. So just like I said, I think ultimately as long as young coaches go into it with the right mindset to develop and winning is the last thing. The winning will take care of itself. If I make you better, and I make the next guy better, and I make the worst player on our team better, we're going to be better in the long run. So I uh, hope that's kind of what you said. But, I mean, I had a ball. Like, honestly, coaching is amazing. Uh, you know, it's stressful um, because when you do look at all the details, it makes for long days and um, stressful nights when you're expecting perfection and the game is never going to be perfect. Um, but like I said, it's, uh, so rewarding because you see all these guys and, and I'm not talking about the Robbie Fabries and Jason Dickinson's and McGinn's and, and, uh, uh, Bertuzzi's who are gone on and they're playing and having unbelievable careers. I still talk to guys that are doing amazing in life. A lot of them have started their own business, have great jobs and, and they came through and you know what they talked to me about is, and you guys can look it up the hashtag Guelph forever. Like that team was so tight. Like they tell me that that was their best year of life. Just not just hockey life and, and the friendships they've they made, they'll have them forever. So I think we have to remember. And, and I did as well. I have to step back and remind myself that it's not all about just the hockey game. You have to let people enjoy being around the rink and playing their soccer and their ping pong and whatever they do. And when it comes down to practice and the games, you just between the whistles, you lay it on the line, play as hard as you can, and then enjoy every other minute of it. Yeah, that's that's such an awesome career you had. Obviously, 
just for the guests, we won't go into detail, but um, obviously in Pyeongchang, uh, coaching the Olympics, you touched on and coaching those like that, that stacked world junior team with McDavid, Fab, uh, not Fab, yeah, Fabry, Duclair, Domi. Um, but we've had you for over an hour now, so we won't get you in. But just our last question is, um, what what's it like now seeing your own kid slowly go through the same things you did and like playing junior B locally, just like you and playing in somewhere you coached for so long? And what's that like as a father? Well, you know, it's uh, it's always hard because I've always said it. his path is much harder than mine. You know, obviously. You know, people would say more doors open. Yeah, well, obviously, my my dad didn't play in the NHL. We didn't have a ton of money. We, didn't, you know, I didn't have the best equipment. So, uh, but I didn't have those eyes looking at me. You know, when I used to bring him home from uh, uh, Carolina, um, when he was old enough, we'd go to the mall here in Cambridge. They used to do a forum floor league, and and I'd be walking around the outside, and you'd hear the other parents like, "Oh, that's him in the their red helmet." And you know who they were talking about, and and it wasn't that they were, I guess, being mean, but everybody was always trying to measure. He, he's always going to be measured up against me, or everybody else. Like, oh, is he getting more of a chance because, or does this and that? So, trust me, uh, it's stressful um, more so for me watching him because. Um, I, I know how hard it is. I know what the sacrifices are. I see what he does. Um, you know, it's uh, it's not easy, um, but it's fun. Uh, like him and like the guys I named on that team, man, they are so tight. And they're still talk. They still talk all the time. And, um, and, and so it's, it's rewarding to watch. Um, but like I said, he is – I think most people who know him will tell you he's probably had it harder than most players and nothing's been given because um, that's the way it was for me. Um, so, hey, he's uh, got a big couple of years and a big summer like all you guys do, and it's it's real important. Um, but I think most importantly is to, to be a great human being and uh, especially in the times we're going through now. So I'm more proud of that than I am his hockey career yeah, thank you so much for coming on. We learned so many good lessons. Yeah, we hope great. everyone can take away what we did from it. Thank you. All righty. Well, good luck. I know you're in the air uh, with the Junior B team there. And uh, just let you know, they're like some of the greatest people. I'm very, very, very good friends with them. And actually thinking we're going to be probably trying to affiliate with them in Guelph. And uh, I'm so excited for them and, and also yourself. So thanks for having me on, guys, and keep grinding it out. We really Thank appreciate you. it. We'll send, we'll-